Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, we've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Probably one of my favorite parts about this, to be honest. The more I've learned about it, the more soil and plants are a mirror of us. We require the exact same things to survive. We require the exact same things to protect us from disease. It's amazing. I kind of tell people, like, if you're ever feeling a lack of connection in your life, which I think many people are now, learn more about soil. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Good morning, everyone, and good morning, Emma. Good morning, and good morning, everyone. I'm sitting here at Locals having a cup of delicious coffee. Locals is in Poolsville, Maryland, in the Montgomery County Ag Reserve, and they are so gracious to let me come here and do these recordings in the restaurant. So it's a delightful place, wonderful community gathering place, wonderful local food. It's just the best. Love Locals. Love David Terrio and Sandy Wright for even creating this place and keeping it going. So thank you, Locals. It's a beautiful day, shining, sparkling, and it's actually the last day of September. And I'm feeling a little reluctant to let go of September. So I actually have a poem to read. Please. Yes, it is called September by John Updike. The breezes taste of apple peel. The air is full of smells to feel. Ripe fruit, old footballs, burning brush, new books, erasers, chalk, and such. The bee, his hive, well-honeyed hum, and mother cuts chrysanthemums. Like plates washed clean with suds, the days are polished with a morning haze. Mm, so lovely. That captures September so well. Yes. Really is nostalgic to me because I grew up in the days of leaf burning <laughs> in the fall. That's not done so much anymore with good reason, but the smell is still very nostalgic to me. And this poem really evokes that and the ripe fruits and the books, erasers, chalk, the old footballs, all the kids would be out tossing the old football around because it's football season. The old football. (laughs) 
So today's episode, we're going to be talking all about plant health and house plants. And so I thought it might be a good opportunity for me to come clean. Okay, come clean. I have to come clean, everyone. I have an admission. Go for it. I do not have a garden that I garden, nor do I particularly consider myself anywhere near a green thumb. So I've said it. I've come clean. <laughs> okay, so then everyone out there is going to be going, how do you call yourself a lady farmer? Exactly. So here's my answer to that. I think that there's a lot of ways to be a lady farmer. And I think that growing plants and gardening is one of them. But I'm just here to say that as someone who I prefer to live in the city, I do live in the city. I'm always on the go. I like being in gardens. I love going to my mom's garden. I love being on farms, but I've never been like, I'm going to grow a garden. And this might be an age thing, a maturity thing. And I'm sure that as I grow older, I'll get more into it. But I will say I do love cooking. And so ever since I've been in my newer place in the city, I've thought I need to at least have herbs growing or something that I can go inside and just clip them or use them. You know, that's a very basic lady farmer thing I can do. What I would do is I would get my herbs from the farmer's market and put them in little jars and they'd last me the week. But finally, I was like, I have a little green space. I should just put them in the ground. So I went to the farmer's market and I got some plants, herb plants. I got basil and then a Thai basil or a Tulsi. Oh, yeah. I know Tulsi. I know. And you have so much Tulsi. I could have just gotten it from you. But that's too advanced for me right now. So I got them from the (laughs) farmer's market and I stuck them in the ground. I literally dug the hole, put them in, left it. Oh, and I had a pot, a terracotta pot. I put a parsley plant in there. And I don't really know what I'm doing, but I just tell that story to say I now have a thriving Tulsi bush, a thriving basil plant a ton of parsley, and I've been using it for cooking, and I literally just stuck it in. And (laughs) I was at Trader Joe's the other day, and they have some live herbs, or and they were organic, so I was like, oh, I'll just grab these. And I put them in little pots, a little thyme, and a rosemary. So I have those outside my door, and they're doing great. And I just (laughs) just brought them home and stuck them in a little pot. All that to say, I have a little herb garden now, and I know it doesn't probably doesn't sound like anything, but... I truly feel if I can do it, anyone can do it because I don't find myself angled that way. I much more love the lady farmer stuff that I love doing is sewing and quilting and the crafty things and the writing and music. And my mom is the farmer gardener. So, Well, it sounds to me like you're a lady farmer. You're more of the kind of lady farmer we're talking to probably than the people that actually live on a lot of land because there are more people that are living in the city and want to do things more simply and want to do things more closer to the earth. Yeah. So I just hope that that's encouraging that if you want to have some herbs, it's really not hard. You can just go get some and put them in a little pot or stick them in the ground if you have any access to any green space. And that's also relevant to today's episode. Today, we're talking to Aaron Deacon. He's the creator of a natural plant fertilizer that provides natural alternatives to chemical fertilizers and pesticides for gardens and farms and also indoor plants. So, of course, his fertilizers are made with natural organic ingredients. You can be sure that your soil and your plants are free of harmful chemicals when you use these. And it's a handmade formula. He literally makes it in his basement. (laughs) But don't worry, it's all lab tested and it's legit and there's data to back it up. It's a homegrown grassroots company and they're doing amazing things and we're really excited about him. Yeah. And if you are a soil geek like us, you'll really appreciate Aaron's knowledge of soil science and what goes into a truly thriving medium for all of life to occur. And as a bonus, he's gone to great lengths to provide compostable packaging, which as you know, we really appreciate. And we've recently received some samples of his products. And I can honestly say that I'm seeing some really impressive results on my fall plantings. In fact, I noticed just yesterday that my pea plants already have blossoms on them. And I did not expect that at all because it's been really hot and peas don't like heat, but they're doing so well that they're already blossoming. So it's exciting for me. And you can be sure I'll have plenty on hand to use all winter. I'm trying to winter over some things inside. And then of course, all through the next growing season. So I'm really excited to have this 
new tool and support system for my garden. It's also great for your house plants. We have quite a few. I think they could use a little help. I'm really <laughs> excited to use it. So I will definitely keep you guys updated as I use the BIOS on my house plants. So we're excited to get into it. Yeah. And we really love talking to Aaron. He really speaks our language, not only about soil science and his philosophy, about regenerative practices, but also about the spiritual and the metaphorical aspects of our human relationship to healthy soil. And he really gets it. He gets how the good dirt is key to all life on the planet. So whether or not you find yourself a a plant or garden enthusiast, I think that you have something to gain from this episode. I'm really excited to share it with you. So here's Aaron Deacon of BIOS. My name is Aaron Deacon. I own a company called BIOS Nutrients out of Guelph, Ontario. And I produce natural fertilizers and pesticides using only natural ingredients. And I basically started learning this when I started growing. Cannabis was the plant of choice when I graduated college. During college, I was researching sustainable energy. And one of the electives that I took was on water, basically water conservation, water management. And a big focus of that course was on agricultural practices, basically the chemicals or the synthetic products that they were using to grow the crops were leaching through the soil into the underground water systems and then being carried out into the mouths of lakes, oceans, and basically creating dead zones through algal blooms. So it's basically killing all of the life in that area. So that's what got me fascinated about the industry as a whole in terms of what we were using on soil, especially pesticides and everything like that. So then when I graduated, I decided I wanted to start growing and learning more about it. So applied for a license to grow medicinal cannabis here in Canada um, before it was recreationally legal. And it took me a year to get that license. So I basically spent a lot of my working days researching plants and cannabis specifically. The cool thing about the cannabis industry is that it's been underground for so long that people have gotten so scientific with it and tried to research like every little bit about it. Everybody's got their own methods and techniques. So I learned a ton just by studying that plant. And when I first got the license, I basically decided, okay, now it's my time to grow, apply all this knowledge that I've learned. And I went out, bought a whole bunch of soil because all the forms said to get your soil for your pots and then buy liquid fertilizers because cannabis is a heavy nutrient feeder. So I bought like $2,000 worth of liquid nutrients, all organic and I went up, so basically where I'm from is two and a half hours from where I am now. So I lugged five gallon buckets of water through the bush every two weeks to feed these plants. And it just didn't turn out that great. So I was a little disappointed. I only used like half the nutrients. So I wasted a ton of money. And then that was kind of my spark of being like, okay, what's gross plants in nature? Like why do plants just grow naturally without the use of synthetics or even just concentrated fertilizers so that's basically when i started diving into more forums for cannabis the big thing then was super soils so what people were doing was they were basically taking a base soil mix adding things like bone meal and back guano and gypsum and all kinds of rock dust and ingredients that were very high in nutritional value but would burn plants very easily so they'd basically like put them in a composter or just like seal them up after getting them moist and let it cook like a month. And that would break some of those nutrients down so that it wouldn't burn your plants if you plant to dense them and it'd be super nutrient rich soil. So I started playing around with making my own soils and doing that. And then I started stumbling upon making your own fertilizers. That's really what I was fascinated in. I was like, what can, like, can you make your own fertilizers? Does it have to be like a scientific thing that are made in a lab? And then the more research I did on these super soils, it turned out it's actually the heat plus microbes in the soil that are breaking those nutrients down and making them more plant available, basically. So that got me really fascinated that there was actually life in the soil. I don't think I really had an idea that there was before that. I knew that there were worms and insects, but I didn't know that there was trillions of fungi and bacteria and protozoa and different things that were actually growing plants. So yeah, I became super fascinated about that. I stumbled on a practice called Korean natural farming. So it's an ancient method of agriculture that has been going on Korea for quite a long time. And it's basically around the idea of fermentation. 
So culturing different microbes using different ingredients that basically adds to that ecosystem. So both in the way of basically adding microbes and also adding organic matter to basically recreate the cycle of how a leaf falls on the forest floor, decomposes, becomes nutrients for the soil and just recreating that cycle. So that's when I started making my own natural fertilizers using fermentation and then just got obsessed with fermentation because you could just put anything in a jar and kind of ferment it and see what happens. So I had all kinds of experiments going on around the house with all different things. But yeah, the BIOS fertilizer that we have now is basically the main one that I'd make all the time because it's basically fermented wheat bran. So it adds that organic matter, it adds tons of microbes. And then I just started playing around with that recipe. So you say your fertilizer contains all natural ingredients. So what do you mean by natural? You know, natural, like in terms of a label can mean anything. What do you mean by natural in your product? For sure. So by natural, I mean non-synthetic because a lot of people say it's chemical free, it's natural. But at the same time, like if you ask somebody that is into science, everything is made out of chemicals. It is just the way the world works. So yeah. yeah. Non-synthetic is basically the best way to put it. So it's not been derived from something because all things, even all synthetic fertilizers are derived from something natural. It's just like the same as if you can say this, but opiates, like basically a painkiller is a synthetic of a natural substance. It's the exact same as a synthetic fertilizer from something natural. And like mm -hmm. you can kind of see with opiates, like how dangerous something can be when it's put into a synthetic form because it's not a natural version of that. So that's basically what I mean by that. So generally a non-synthetic will never burn your plants because it's not potent enough. That's why like when you use a synthetic fertilizer, it's very easy to burn because they can't uptake that many nutrients. Basically for natural and just non-synthetic is the best way to put it. Talk a little bit more about what you mean by burning. I mean, I think we've all heard people that garden have heard you have to be careful when you use fertilizers and what kind and what time of day and mm -hmm. so forth because they will burn your plants. So what is actually happening when the plants get burned with these synthetics? So nutrient burn is basically overdose for the plant. Like a lot of synthetics are made out of salts, salt-based fertilizers. Yeah. Because salts are a good source of nutrition for plants. Even with like the ocean, mm -hmm. the minerals in ocean water are amazing fertilizers. Yeah, it's basically an overload of nutrients. Like the plant can't uptake them all. So that's when you're going to burn your plants because you're putting too much in it for it to handle. And then that's where people will get more burned in, in houseplants in the winter too. Okay. You hear about the time of day. Like you're not supposed to put certain fertilizers on in the sunshine because I guess the sun increases the absorption or something. Yeah. So it just increased photosynthesis. So during photosynthesis, the plant's going to be absorbing more water and more nutrients. And during the peak sunlight, you have too much nutrition. It's basically just going to not be able to pull in as much, or if it does, it's going to burn the plant mm -hmm. uh, because it can't handle that much nutrition. And that's kind of where like microbes come into play, where the natural relationship the plants have with soil is that microbes will basically decompose nutrients that the plant needs all the time. So the plant can say, hey, I need this right now. Can you provide this for me? Instead of us just dosing the plant or the soil with a specific amount of fertilizer that it may not be able to take. It may not need certain nutrients yeah. at that time as well. That's really helpful. I really like your comparison there to the opiates. I think that that makes it really clear <laughs> what the difference is. And when we talk about synthetics as being things that are basically either made by man or changed by humans, I should say. Changed by humans, yeah. like in a lab, so to speak. Like the natural yeah. substance is actually changed by human intervention, which is what a synthetic mm -hmm. is, which do you think that's accurate? Yeah, so, Okay, back to your product, BIOS. It's called BIOS and it is natural, in yes. meaning that it hasn't been tampered with by humans to change it, to make it whatever more useful in our different growing scenarios. And I will say yes. just this afternoon, your beautiful box was delivered to us and awesome. it's lovely <laughs> and it's it's so well done. And Thank I you. want you to tell us about, I'm looking at it now and I'll tell my readers that it's a wonderful plastic free box and the packaging is just wonderful. And I see the all natural plant fertilizer and I see a little bottle of plant probiotics. So I love this. It says plant care package. Yes. So I'm your new customer and I've just gotten this beautiful box. <laughs> And I'm lucky enough to have a firsthand instruction from the creator on how to use this. <laughs> yes. Tell me what. Tell me what to <laughs> yeah, that is super helpful. Yeah. Beautiful. So 
basically start with the fertilizer. Yeah. For the fertilizer, it is a fermented wheat bran. Ah. We add tons of other ingredients to it as well. It's in a dried form, so it's basically inactive. It'll last you years and years as long as it doesn't get wet. Basically, all you do with it is you sprinkle it on top of your soil for existing plants. So basically a top dress application. And then once you water your plants or get that fertilizer wet, it will wake up the microbes that are in it. And you'll notice a white fuzz start to grow on top of your soil. And that is actually a bacteria culture that is breaking down the nutrients in that bran. And it's also starting to culture your soil. The great part about that is it'll start decomposing the wheat bran right away. So it can become new soil and plant available nutrients faster than it would if you just kind of sprinkled wheat bran on top of the soil itself. And then you can also use it as a soil amendment. So I highly recommend if anybody's doing any repotting or if you are growing in the garden, if you sprinkle some of that into the hole that you're going to be planting in, it can establish that relationship with the roots right away. And it's very good for reducing transplant shock and just increasing nutrient absorption as soon as you plant that. So that is the most common way that it's used. Um, you can also make a tea out of it by soaking it in water for 24 hours. So a tablespoon of bios and a liter of water, you soak it. It'll reactivate all the microbes. You can strain that out and then you can use it for hydroponic systems. A lot of people are growing in semi-hydro now, like pond or LECA, so they can use it for that too. And then you just use it for your watering of everything. Exactly. Yeah. Is it safe to put it on the leaves or do you need to put it on the ground specifically? Yes, you can put it anywhere. If you're doing a foliar spray on the leaves, what I do recommend is the probiotic instead. Okay. So you'll see that you've got the probiotic in there, the plant probiotic and the yucca extract. I basically introduced those together because I used to use them together all the time. And the yucca extract is a surfactant or a wetting agent, which basically helps things coat the surface. So basically water has a high surface tension, so it will beat up and roll off of things. Like if you imagine a freshly waxed car, the water would just beat up and roll right off and leaves are naturally waxy so that water doesn't sit on them when it rains or in direct sunlight because it will burn them. But when you're using a foliar spray, you want it to coat the surface of the leaves. So that's actually effective, especially when you're using any type of pesticide or insecticide. So that is what the yucca extract does. It basically helps any foliar spray stick. When you use it with a probiotic, it basically helps the probiotics stick to the leaves and coat them really nicely. And I guess this is a bit of a jumbled answer because I'm trying to mix the two into one. <laughs> so the probiotic, basically, it is a mixture of beneficial bacteria cultures and molasses. So molasses is actually a great nutrient for plants. It's high in nitrogen. It is full of essential vitamins and minerals. So it will feed your plant nutrients, generally micronutrients more than anything. So it's perfect for a foliar spray because leaves, I should say, are very good at absorbing micronutrients and not so much macro, like your nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, calcium. They always can burn leaves very easily, but they love having some micronutrients. So that's why the probiotic is amazing. So... I started making that as a foliar spray for powdery mildew in the garden or any kind of fungal disease. You can also use that to water your soil. So it can be a foliar spray or a soil drench. As a foliar spray, it'll prevent fungi and different mildews. It will feed the leaves. And then if you water it into the soil, it'll basically start breaking nutrients down in the soil because of all the microbes and just basically protect your roots from disease. That's awesome. So I just want to interject and say here, I sort of represent the, like I live in a city and I do have a little bit of green space, but I really don't have a super involved garden. I have a few perennials that come back every year that I love and I try to put mm -hmm. little herb plants here and there, but I'm very low key outdoor gardening. I do, however, have a collection of indoor plants and I'm wondering just for me and for anyone else listening who might consider themselves more of a gardening dabbler or indoor plant person, what products you recommend and why? Because I honestly would never think about putting fertilizer on my plants because I'm just sort of like, well, they're going to do what they're going to do. But I bet that yeah, great, actually. It definitely does. Yeah. Like fertilizer does make a big difference. So what I would recommend is all three, basically. So the benefit of the BIOS natural fertilizer is that it's become a bit taboo for houseplants to put leaves or organic matter back on your soil, whereas outdoors, that is generally common practice for gardening. And what happens then is that you're never giving nutrients back to your soil. 
and an indoor environment because people are scared of getting pests. So then basically as your plant's growing, it is taking up nutrients, but you're never adding nutrients back in and you're never adding a food source for the biology that's in the soil. When you kind of imagine, like the best way I've ever had it described is feed the soil, not the plant. And in turn, the soil will feed the plant because it is a living organism. So when we add organic matter back to the soil, it's feeding the microbes in that soil. It's like decompose them and it can make them available to your plants. So it's the exact same with bios. Basically sprinkling that wheat bran that's been fermented on top of your soil starts to add that organic matter back in. It can start breaking down nutrients that are in the soil that your plant can't actually absorb. So that's the one thing I've noticed with houseplants is that if they grow slowly or they're suffering from disease or just not getting the results that you want out of them, it's generally because there's no life in the soil anymore. And it's a combination of letting the soil dry out a lot, which can stress biology in the soil, as well as it being in a small pot for the most part. It has a hard time keeping up, whereas like when you're have a huge garden or a large soil space that microbial flora can just thrive. So generally with house plants, if you're not adding organic matter or anything, they're getting pretty stressed out and they're most likely not working for your plant. And plants can't actually absorb many nutrients on their own. So there's mobile and immobile nutrients and majority of nutrients are in an immobile form. So plants can't actually uptake them without the help of bacteria and fungi and different microbes. So basically, if that's what's happening in your soil, your plants are just starving. They don't have access to nutrients. So that's when you can start using synthetics. And that's what people will generally start using if they're seeing deficiencies. But it really is kind of a band-aid solution to the problem. It really is just about kind of bringing that soil back to life. And even like, I guess, to that with houseplants is that a lot of people think that their soil is done after a year. They're just like, yeah, it's been a year. I got to repot my plant because I need new soil. And there's all the nutrients are gone. But they're not like there's tons of minerals. There's tons of nutrients that are in soil. It's just the fact that plants can't access them without the help of microbes. So I highly recommend bios for adding that organic matter, adding those microbes to basically kickstart that cycle again. The probiotic is great to use as foliar spray just to keep your leaves really nice and healthy and give them that micronutrient boost from the molasses. And then the yucca extract is amazing for rehydrating soil mediums, especially with houseplants. Most Soil mediums are made out of peat moss. That's just what most companies provide because it's cheap and accessible. But the downfall of peat moss is that if it dries out too much, it becomes hydrophobic, which means it just doesn't absorb water anymore. Because I kind of said water has a high surface tension. Because of that, it has a very hard time flowing into small spaces. So by using the yucca extract, you reduce that surface tension so that it can actually flow into the particles of peat moss and rehydrate it. So it's amazing for rehydrating dry, crusty soils. I'm so excited. My plants are doing fine. Like they're not dying. But when you yeah. see like slow growth, sometimes they turn weird colors and I just mm-hmm. kind of never thought there was anything I could do about that besides like move them around. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm really excited to try it and see. I like want it to be like longer and I want it to look like it's thriving, not just sort of <laughs> existing hang on <laughs> yeah 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 the bios make a huge difference i remember when i put it in our pothos it wasn't really doing much and then it shot out like two feet of growth in a couple months it was wild so it makes a big difference and yeah the biology is really the key for growing any plants and yeah it just transferred really well indoors like i used to only use it for outdoor and then i used it on a couple of house plants and i was like i guess house plants are lacking in biology cool. <laughs> and you yeah. said all three of the products yeah, highly recommend. I've made all three to work together. Okay. And that's just because those are the three products that I found the most effective over the years of doing this. And I felt like they were a perfect little plant care kit, basically. Like everything you'd need from your organic matter to add those nutrients back into the soil to get things kickstarted, probiotic to protect your roots and basically feed your leaves without burning them and also protecting them as well. And then the UG extract, yeah, just provide that hydration that's usually missing. So yeah, they're all beautiful together. <laughs> the perfect trio. It's so cool. Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. 
combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices. They bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. Looking for a natural and reliable plant fertilizer you can trust? For your garden and indoor plants alike, look no further than BIOS, the all-natural plant fertilizer. Use the link in the show notes to get yourself a free sample from their website so you can try it yourself. Then use the code LADYFARMER15 for 15% off when you're ready to buy. BIOS will come to you in compostable packaging and is 100% pet-friendly, which we love here at Lady Farmer. BIOS, the all-natural plant fertilizer for everyone. Often on this show, we talk about fermented foods, you know, because fermentation is a big thing for us and for our listeners. And you said a a moment ago how these products make the nutrients more bioavailable to the plants. That's the same thing we say about the probiotics in the food make the nutrients more bioavailable in our bodies. So it's the same thing. It's a direct reflection. I think that's a super interesting parallel. And that brings me to the question of, can we talk about soil biology and how that relates to each of us every day, not just in our garden and plants or house plants, but us as we go through our day. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd absolutely love to. It is probably one of my favorite parts about this, to be honest, because it is such a close relationship that we have with soil. The more I've learned about it, the more soil and plants are a mirror of us in a way. Mm. We are literally the exact same. We require the exact same things to survive. We require the exact same things to protect us from disease. It's amazing. I kind of tell people like if you're ever feeling a lack of connection in your life, which I think many people are now, learn more about soil because it will... First of all, give you some perspective of how many living organisms are beneath our feet that we cannot see and that are growing the food that we need to survive, but also just that direct relationship. So basically in our human bodies to kind of start it off, we have more microbial species, I believe, than we have human cells. So technically we are more microbial than we are human. We need microbes for everything, for digestion. We need microbes on our skin to prevent disease and infection. We basically have microbes in every single part of our body except for our brains. So yeah, they are essential for absorption of nutrients in the body, especially a healthy gut flora is a direct correlation to many diseases. I know they've found that like if one type of microbe is lacking in the stomach, it can prevent you from being able to digest certain carbohydrates. It's very interesting and it's the exact same as soil. So yeah, basically I kind of relate it to a billion years ago, apparently plants lived just in water because nutrients were bioavailable to them. And then they had to create that relationship with fungi to move on to soil, to actually be able to absorb nutrients in the soil. And it's the exact same as today. And then when we eat plants, ideally when we're eating them from the garden, which is so far away from what we do now. We buy food from the grocery store, which is most likely sprayed with a ton of things. And most of those healthy microbes are probably missing. And that's probably why we have, you know, even asthma I've heard is, can be related to a unbalanced gut flora. I've got asthma myself. I don't know. (laughs) I haven't experimented too much with it, but yeah, it's very interesting. Like the foods that we eat, if they're from the garden, we are getting 
the local microbiome of biology into our bodies that can help make us more disease tolerance and resistant to infections and plants are the same way. When plants have a healthy microbial flora in the soil, they can absorb more nutrients. And when they do that, they have more carbohydrates in their tissues. And insects actually have an extremely hard time digesting high sugar content. So they naturally become pest resistant as well with a healthy microbial flora within them or within their growing medium. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. So high pro probiotic plants are more pest resistant. Yes, absolutely. Simply because they can absorb more nutrients. So generally plants that get attacked by pests, they're being attacked by pests because they're generally weak. Uh, they're not getting everything they need, so they are an easy target. So that's why I believe we're having such rampant disease issues with agriculture is because they've completely wiped the soil and sterilized it. So plants aren't getting everything they need, and that's why they're being attacked so easily. Yeah, and they're completely supported by synthetic materials and substances rather than the substances that are in the soil because the substances that are in the soil have been destroyed. Absolutely. So, wow. That's, yeah, it's fascinating. It really is. I imagine this has been a long process for you, been years and years of experimentation mm -hmm. and discovery. And this whole thing of um, the whole microbiome in the soil is related to us as humans in our own gut. This is really a fairly new science. Yes. And I find that fascinating because it's probably, you've probably grown along with the science. I don't know, how many years have you been doing this? Tell us a little bit about your learning curve on this, if you want to talk about that. For sure, yeah. So I've been doing this since 2016. Okay. So six years now. Uh -huh. And the learning curve, there's been a few moments where I have discovered things, where it's completely changed my outlook on what I was doing before. Mm -hmm. So when I originally started and what you see in the industry now is a big focus on beneficial microbes. Everybody is trying to promote beneficial microbes and they're trying to promote a high count of them. So basically the higher the number of microbes in whatever product you're selling, the more attractive it is for people. And that was something I always focused on. I always tried to like get myself tested to be like, okay, is it getting higher? What do I have to change to get it higher and higher and higher? And then five years later, I think I learned this last year was that the diversity of microbes is key. So yeah, kind of when I started, it was focusing on specific microbes, trying to culture those, really trying to isolate and yeah, making different ones. And then as I've learned now, it's more about diversity. So I'd say that was learning curve is pretty steady. I would say from the point that I learned about microbes, mm -hmm. there were a few bumps where I was like, okay, this microbe like protozoa I discovered was responsible for over 90% of the nutrients that plants get or 90% of the nitrogen, I believe. So that was very interesting to me. I was like, okay, this one type of microbe is responsible for so much nutrient absorption for plants. So that made me try to look at protozoa a little bit more. But yeah, I'd say the biggest one was basically over the five years learning about microbes. It was steady. And then once I learned about more of the diversity and the local biome of microbes, that's when... I would say it kind of just shot up and really opened my mind to, I guess, what was really happening. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was a big one for me, especially now, like I was saying, where companies are just trying to get the highest count and specifying just a couple families of microbes. I've learned that that's actually not good. When you are shooting for the highest population of microbes in a solution, you have to ferment it at a certain temperature which is generally laboratory standards or 32 degrees Celsius is the standard for fermentation to get a high count. But what happens is you're getting such a high count because they're smaller in size and they're not actually as effective. And when they're making them in laboratories, so they can only make a product that they can reproduce the microbes in the laboratory. And right now in this day, we can only reproduce less than 1% of the total microbes that are known in soil and in our earth and our bodies in general. So when these companies are producing these microbes in a laboratory and specifying specific ones, when you're adding that to your soil, you're actually throwing off the entire balance of that ecosystem because you're just specifying a couple of different kinds and you're putting such a high number of them into the soil. Wow. You know what this is reminding me of? What's that? How a few years ago when everybody said you need probiotics. So all of a sudden, mm -hmm. everybody starts buying probiotics in bottles 
of these pills that have X number of probiotics on them and, you know, this many units or whatever. And then come to find out that you can have an entire bottle of this probiotics and yeah, it's thousands and thousands of units, but it's only like two or three organisms or five or whatever. And now they're discovering that no, like in food, like in fermented foods, you get dozens of the varieties of the life form. Mm -hmm. So you really can't, like what you were just saying, I think is so valuable. And I love this so much is that you really- can't replicate in a lab no what is happening in nature mm-hmm. and we can try and we want to in our capitalistic system we want to replicate things that people can buy from the drugstore or the grocery store and everything because you want to mm-hmm. do that it creates a market it creates an industry it creates jobs it yeah. all those things that you know help to move our society forward so to speak but it's really we're kind of up against the wall on that and i think we're finding out how there's limitations to how when we try to mimic nature and we're finding this out all over the place in agriculture we're finding it out in food production food distribution, all of these things. There's only so many ways we can mimic nature before we hit a wall. I feel like that's what you were just saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely happening now. Yeah, it's been overlooked for sure. And I think it will be for a long time. And yeah, like you said, everybody does want to recreate something at laboratory standards because I think at the end of the day, a lot of governing bodies want something that is very easily reproducible and adaptable. Yes. And that's impossible when it comes to soil because you just, you can't test those. Like even so many people have, or like scientists to this day had trouble identifying like a microbial species, like even one bacteria from another, some bacteria can look like a completely different species. So they have no idea what it actually is. And very interesting to learn that. So it all kind of speaks to, in your business, you are giving the soil nutrition from nature, the natural systems of nature. And we do better when we feed our bodies nutrition from that comes straight from nature and doesn't pass through a lab. However, having said that, yes. you must have a lab of sorts. I mean, I, I see you, t- you talking about the protozoa. And you're, are you, I, I picture you looking through a microscope. And I can remember my, you know, like my seventh grade science class seeing like the picture of the protozoa and understanding it mm-hmm. and its digestive system and so forth. So I see you yeah. looking at these pictures. And so what is your setting and, what, you know, how are you putting all this together? It's a great question. I don't have a microscope. <laughs> I almost bought one. But the more I talk to people like yeah it's extremely hard to identify what's actually in it like you'll see things moving around but because we've identified less than one percent of the actual species it's very difficult to know so lab testing was the one thing that i did mainly just to see what's the overall count in this solution so you'll get a count of microbes like they'll break them out between total aerobic and anaerobic and yeast and molds but to start testing for specific types it becomes extremely cost prohibitive I think that's maybe why companies end up only specifying a certain amount because like when I went to get it tested, it might've been a hundred dollars for the sample just to find out how are the count of microbes. Once you want to start identifying species, it was probably 80 to a hundred dollars per species. And there could be millions of species in there. So, and you don't even know what's in it. So I could kind of say, yeah, I want to test for this species. A lot of times they don't even have testing for most of the species. So even for one example, photosynthetic bacteria is a bacteria that lives in shallow puddles where it's generally anaerobic. It's got some form of sulfur content and lots of sunlight. They can't test for that. There's only a few companies that actually make them. And yeah, I couldn't find anybody to test. I did multiple experiments with that and I kind of just had to leave them because I had no idea if they worked or not (laughs) because I couldn't test. Yeah, it's very difficult to know kind of what it is. So that's where I guess the other part of it, and I guess it kind of comes down to that science and spirituality having to like come together at a certain point to actually cover the entire picture. So there is that science aspect of it that like, I know, you know, I'm culturing these specific microbes with this recipe and I kind of have an idea of what's going to be in it, but at the same time, you're just kind of at the mercy of nature. And that's where you almost have to use your imagination and also just your observation is a big one. So even with the batches that I do now, the 
type of fermentation I do is anaerobic. So to generally produce anaerobic microbes. So I know there's going to be anaerobic bacteria. There may not be a ton of fungi because I believe they have a hard time surviving in anaerobic conditions. But what I've been doing to help diversify is basically the buckets that I ferment in, they don't have a perfectly sealed lid. And usually when this type of formation is done or fermentation, it's completely sealed off from oxygen. So what I've been doing is basically topping the top of the mixture with just dry wheat bran. And then it's creating the same conditions that would happen in mycology when you're growing mushrooms. So the fermentation underneath is creating CO2. And then there's a bit of oxygen flow through the underside of the lid. And then what could happen is that the fungi or the fungus spores that are in that mixture could actually start to pin and propagate in the dry mixture as a food source because they have kind of an oxygen exchange. So I've noticed like big white chunks of fungi starting to grow in that wheat bran. So now I kind of know, okay, now I've got like a more fungally dominated mixture as well as the bacteria. So I'm increasing the diversity, even though I'm not too sure what the fungi is. So that's kind of the tough part. And I've become a little less attached to finding out exactly what it is. Before, when I was doing this, I was obsessed and just because the market was like having to know exactly what's in it. I need to know yeah. what micro this is and you know what this is because that's what people wanted to see. And now it's just like, I don't know, like I know what it smells like when it's fermented properly. I know what it looks like. Oh, and I love this. It's the like, diverse, yeah. It's driven by your intuition. <laughs> it is, yeah, a lot of it. And the other thing that I've kind of learned too, like on top of the diversity is that with diversity, you can't have the good without the bad. So that is a big one. And a very big common misconception is that people are so focused on the beneficials, but you actually need harmful microbes in the soil to keep that balance. And you can't just overrun the soil with beneficial ones because then it's not a balance anymore. So I've become a little bit less worried, not to the point where I'm just letting it get out of control, but if there's something that gets into it, or even a lot of people will contact me and say, Hey, like there's red stuff growing in my soil, or green stuff. And I'm just like, honestly, like that is before I would have been like, yeah, I just, I'm sorry, put some hydrogen peroxide on it and maybe change your soil. And now it's like, yeah, that is just like your soil balancing itself out. Like, even if you look at terrariums, people that are establishing terrariums, there is a balancing of that ecosystem that happens and you'll see all different kinds of microbes and fungi. And that is just the, it's natural state. That's just what it does. So yeah. That's been a big learning curve too. learning not to worry so much and just like stick with your process, but understand that, you know, it's not a be all end all if it's not perfect, because that is just the way nature is. Wow. So that's interesting. Self-regulating thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Remember to not be like totally anti the bad stuff because at some point we can't claim that we know. Yeah. No, yeah. we have no idea. And that's like, yeah. that was the big one too, where I learned that like, we only know less than 1% of the microbes in this world. There's just, yeah. So we have absolutely no idea what plants need to survive. So like discrediting or not taking that at like other 99.9% .9 of microbes in consideration is just not a good idea. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your production and where it's made and what that's like? Yes, absolutely. So it's made in my house. Oh, that's <laughs> but, <awesome. laughs> yeah. yeah, I started making everything in my basement. Um, it was tough scaling what it was. I had a lot of issues with like drying it quick enough because basically what happens is I would ferment it in the basement in bigger batches and then I'd have to have enough room to dry. So I had like a big four by eight sheet of plywood that I was trying to dry and like tons of fans and sometimes it wouldn't dry properly and it would almost start re-fermenting and it would smell like very cheesy feet. Oh no. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because it was in the house, our entire house would smell like it and it was awful. <laughs> So yeah, I know it started in the basement. I mix it using this med mixer with basically the paddles taken out of it. So I use my arm to mix every single batch. And yeah, literally everything is made here. I harvest the microbes from the air that, you know, we breathe because there are tons of microbes in the air that we constantly breathe in. They're essential for us, even fungi. Fungal spores are one of the most dominant particulates in the air. So we're People that are scared of microbes, you're breathing them every single second. <laughs> every breath you take, you're taking in tons of microbes. So there are ways to basically harvest those from the air. So that's kind of how we do that. And yeah, every batch is mixed in the basement. It's 
fermented in sealed containers. It's dried on drying racks now that I have downstairs. So I used to have a growing room that I grow stuff in all the time. And I had to tear that apart to make a room down there to expand drying production. And now we pack in the garage. So we finally kind of moved in there. We've got a little packaging line with bag sealers, and liquid fillers. So yeah, it's kind of evolving now. It's kind of taken up a good portion of the house, Very <laughs> which my cool. partner doesn't love, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and who is we? What kind of team do you have there? So I have one basically assistant that helps with basically promoting the product and educating people on it. And then I do have a production staff as well. So I've got one guy working part-time with me to just help me basically package the product and make it uh-huh. so that I can kind of focus more on the selling aspect of it and kind of educating people and getting it out there more. So yeah, that's kind of how we've been growing. And then I do have one intern as well that we've hired to help make lists for us and just do different things that helps me do my jobs that I need to be doing. So it's been interesting building a team. It's difficult. It's definitely not an easy aspect of the business and kind of like knowing when to bring different people on is very hard. So that's been a big learning curve. And that's only been about two months now that I've started doing that. I love that it's it's just such a, what's homegrown. the term? Yeah, homegrown. <laughs> yes. Literally. Is, yeah. there, is there no, any, I guess there's not because you sent the package to my mom, but um, I was looking at your website and I noticed pictures like that. Where can you find us in stores? And it's all in Canada, which makes sense. So is there any yes. issues like ordering from the States, like anything like that? Or is it all good? No, there's not actually. So I need to update that list. Unfortunately, okay. I haven't had time, but we do have a couple locations in the U.S. now. Cool. We have a place called B Willow in Maryland. Yeah, it's been nice to expand. In uh, Maryland? Yeah, kind of custody. I got shipped all over the U.S. In Maryland, yes. Where? Where in Maryland? Because that's where I am. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It's called B Willow. I'm not exactly sure where they are in Maryland. Oh, okay. But yeah, B.Willow is the company. We'll have to find out. Yeah, they're, they were our first U.S. customer, actually, for wholesale. Yeah, we've shipped to, there's been no issues. Like, because it's natural, the products, there isn't as many regulations on it. And because it's more marketed towards home and garden, there's not as many regulations on it either. So I basically got a write-up from the USDA that I ship with each package to say it follows these guidelines. They want to know that it's not harmful for pigs and chickens. And then just the customs form and that's it. So yeah, we've shipped all over the US. We've shipped to Germany, to Croatia, to we have some customers in Kuwait as well. So we've kind of shipped all over the world, which is really cool. Oh my goodness. Cool. So Mom B Willow, I just looked it up, is in Baltimore. Oh, so I'm Very just cool. about an hour from Baltimore. And is awesome. is B Willow a, a brick and mortar? Or are they, yeah, it's like it it's they like, are. like Listeners, it looks like a cool indoor plant store if you're in Baltimore. Well, if you're in Baltimore, yes. I hope you already know about it. And if you are <laughs> in D.C. or around the area, then yeah. let me tell you about Willow. I'm just learning about it. <laughs> oh, uh, it's cool. Yeah, and you had this beautiful plant care package here that Aaron sent us. Yeah, it's really marvelous. So, Aaron, can you talk a little bit about your what you feel like are your biggest wins and your biggest challenges? What have you yes. come up against that's just, oh no, and then what has just <laughs> felt, oh, this is it? <laughs> yeah, I'll start with the challenges. I'd say the biggest challenge is the education. So yeah. when I started this business, that was my big goal. I really just wanted to teach people about what I've learned about soil biology and microbes because... I find it so fascinating, especially the way that it relates to the human body and every living organism on this earth. The more I learned about it, the more I realized the potential that it has for change in our current practice. The way that we are treating agriculture, the way even that people are treating their gardens as well, is completely neglecting the life that's within the soil, the life that actually feeds plants and protects them from disease and makes them more disease resistant, like I said, as well. So we don't have to use pesticides as much if we're taking care of the soil and pesticides are doing so much damage, not only to the ecosystem, bees, but our own bodies. Like we end up adjusting that. I know even the university in town I'm in here just did a study correlating Alzheimer's disease with pesticide use because of the residual pesticides. Even herbicides that I've been researching, they are fascinating because they vaporize if it's too windy or it's too sunny. So what happens is before they even hit the plants, they're spraying all over people's homes. 
getting in your homes, you're touching them, they're getting out of your bed, your pillows. It is just horrible. And they're spraying on organic crops. So if you're buying organic, there could be a chance that something that somebody is spraying on their other field may be getting into those crops. So yeah, the more I learned about biology, I'm just like, this has the power to truly change the way that we are basically doing agriculture, like growing our food. If we take care of the soil, it is going to grow healthier plants. The healthier plants are going to feed us and make us healthier. So education has been the big one, but it's hard to convey to people, especially focusing more on the houseplant industry right now. So we've been doing because of kind of the houseplant boom, successful market, but a lot of people are hesitant to adopt the fact that soil is alive. They much prefer a sterile environment. They don't want to see things growing on their soil. They don't want bugs, which is a very natural part of our environment. So getting that across to people while still making it easy enough to digest that they're not scared to try it has been the biggest challenge, I think. People seem to be hesitant to try the product because they don't understand that soil is alive or that mushrooms growing out of your soil in your house plants is completely normal and healthy. So that's been a tough point to get through. And also like me having to learn how to balance speaking about it in digestible ways. Like you said with probiotics too, when you say giving bios to your soil is like drinking kombucha for your body is a much more easy way to frame that because people are familiar with gut health and probiotics, but not so much when it comes to soil and plants. So yeah, bridging that gap has been, I think the most difficult thing. And then for the biggest wins, I would say the results that people have sent me that use BIOS all the time. It's amazing to see how much of a difference it makes for people's plants. I've seen so many where people's plants have been struggling or somebody has just like left it to die outside. And there was actually one lady that reached out and sent me a bunch of pictures and her money tree was dying. She left it outside to basically rot in the sun. It was done. She told her husband to throw it in the garbage and he never did. So in the fall, she decided to bring it back inside and try again. So she cut it back, started sprinkling bios on it, and it turned into a bush in like four months. It was massive. So seeing stuff like that, and I've had multiple people send me things like that where the plant's just been completely dead. And then within like a month or two months of using bios, it's just back to life. So I think that's been the biggest win. And yeah, just like reaffirming to me, I guess, what I've seen in the past and just how powerful biology in the soil really is for allowing plants to start absorbing nutrients again and just thriving in their natural environment. And then the other one has been education for children. So that's been a big one for me. I think that's where a lot of potential lies with kids having to learn because not, like over 90% of people in this world don't know how to grow their own food anymore, Yeah, which is crazy. So I think educating kids on the importance of soil biology and how that relationship actually works, I think is very important and something I want to be more involved in. So I was asked to come to a private school down in our area on Earth Day to basically teach kids about composting. And I kind of set them up with like a couple of composting buckets that you could actually use bios for. So you can actually use bios to ferment food scraps. And it's a really cool way of composting. It basically mimics the digestion of our stomachs to break nutrients down. So yeah, I set them up with a couple of composting kits, which I think was really cool for like, they have boarding kits there that stay there all year round. So they set them up in their dorms and they can ferment their food scraps and take the drain or runoff from that and use that as a fertilizer for the herbs that they grow in the greenhouse at the school and then throw the food scraps into soil to basically make new healthy soil and use that to grow vegetables so i think that's really cool oh wow yeah so i really want to get more into that so if anybody has any opportunities to teach kids the soil oh, <laughs> i'm always down <laughs> that is a big win oh my gosh a plus that's wonderful thank you <laughs> That's really good. Okay. Aaron, what you think about slow living or what it means to you and what do you say like to incorporate slow living into your life and how? I do. Yes. Yeah, so slow living and trying to run this business is a tricky balance. <laughs> I think like I'm definitely a slow living kind of person. I like to take my time with things. I like to relax. I like being creative is very important to me. I would, if I could just grow plants all day, I would love to just do that. But yeah, it's hard to incorporate into this business right now because I am trying to grow it really fast and it takes a lot of time. Like I don't really have a lot of time in my days anymore to really like sit back. Like 
sometimes I'll take 20 minutes here and there to play some guitar, just to relax and free myself a little bit. Yeah, very much into, I like to meditate when I can. And I think this whole thing is a means to an end in a way. I've always wanted to create something that benefits humanity and makes a difference for people and also gives me the freedom one day to live slowly and just, I would love to have an off-grid farm that I kind of like built myself and I just sustain myself and that is kind of the goal. But right now, yeah, it's tough to balance that. And I also think I have an issue with if I'm not being productive, then I feel like I just, I have a hard time not doing something. It's very difficult for me. (laughs) So yeah, I'm all about slow living, but it's been a tough balance with branded business, especially product-based business. Yeah. It's just like yeah, constantly trying to get orders. We get it. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. I will leave you though with this. If we can chew on this, maybe for like summer, right? Just like have it be in the back of your mind. Yep. What if not doing something is doing something? <laughs> what if that is beautiful? Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, try to do nothing for five minutes a day. We do that in our community. Um, We have a slow living challenge every year. And that's that's crazy. That's the thing that we get the most reactions to. Set the timer for five minutes and do nothing. I think it's easier to do if you say, I'm doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) No, it definitely is. Like nothing is still something I feel like. Yeah. (laughs) Don't take those like breaks of nothingness. Like I think a lot of creativity comes out of breaks of nothingness too. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's super important to do that. Like you have to. We have a, a, yeah. a book club in our membership. And this month we're actually reading a book called The Art of Doing Nothing. So we're curious to see what Interesting. how people react to that. It's called How to Do Nothing, <laughs> Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny Odell. Oh, cool. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, that's a wreck for you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I will. <laughs> so Aaron, here at Lady Farmer, we do nothing. <laughs> that is just not true. <laughs> wait it's a goal um erin there's a tradition here now on our interviews we ask all of our guests what does the good dirt mean to you but i want to say since this conversation has literally been completely about the good dirt yes. i'm gonna ask you what does the good dirt mean to you we know what it means to you literally because you live it and breathe it and work it every day and your product is about good dirt so can you answer that question in another way, like perhaps metaphorically or spiritually? You touched on a spiritual aspect of this a little bit ago. So what do you have to say about the good dirt that is more than literal? In terms of spirituality, I guess the good dirt means to me the lost reconnection with Mother Earth. We have become so removed from our natural connection with Earth and with nature I think a lot of us see ourselves as completely separate from nature now because of obviously where we live, urban environments, we have separated ourselves from that. So to me, the good dirt is a literal reconnection with our birthright of mother nature. You know, we are one, we are so connected. And I think without that knowledge of what good dirt is, we will continue to be separated from it. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's You're very inspirational. I really appreciate that. And uh, thank you. Anytime. So, Erin, <laughs> so, it's been such an enlightening conversation, honestly. I'm really excited. I feel like I learned a lot. I'm really excited. Yeah. So thank you. Before I have pictures of my, my little pathos, I will get on that and feed it by us and then see what happens i can't wait but yeah so can you let us know where people can find you and where they can get bios and how they can order you might have mentioned it earlier but let me say it again yes beautiful sounds great yes you can find us at biosnutrients.ca or .com whichever one you type in will redirect you whether you're in the u.s or canada you can find us on instagram at biosnutrients we are on tiktok now at biosnutrients as well got tons of tips and tricks on there. Yes, TikTok is a lot of fun. And we're on Facebook at BiosNutrients, LinkedIn. You can find us on any social media platform. And then we do have about almost 50 retail locations now in North America. So if you head to our website, we do have that tab there with Shop Local. And you can see if there are any local shops near you. If you want to try Bios and you want to buy locally, let your shop know your local shop. And we will reach out to them immediately because I know a lot of our customers want a local 
place to purchase from because shipping is expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. It's been so interesting. <laughs> and naturally, we love conversations about the good dirt. And this is certainly about good dirt. Thank you guys Thank very much. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us. And we will be in touch, Aaron. We, we will. Absolutely. Hi, Emma. This is Louise Holland, and I'm a listener. Um, I've been listening for a while now. I live out in California, and I got to tell you and your mom, I, I think it's been so uplifting during the pandemic to have something positive to, like a go-to thing you can actually listen to, and it's uplifting, and it changes the way you think about things in a positive way. My sisters and I are all sustainable living gals. And I got to tell you, your show, kudos to both of you. Love your show. Love your guests. It is so worthy of time. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's We Are Lady Farmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.